Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Left of Straight Show with your host, Scott Fullerton, as we discuss everything under the rainbow sun, from LGBT issues to foodies, entertainment to books. Join us as we talk to some of the most interesting leaders and celebrity LGBT guests and allies on the internet. So grab a cocktail, it's always happy hour somewhere, and enjoy the show. Now, here's your host, Scott Fullerton. Well, howdy, 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 everybody. Welcome to the Left of Straight Show. It is Thursday, June 18th, 2020. I am your host, Scott Fullerton. I hope you guys are having a good week. We are almost at the weekend. One more day to go. Thanks for tuning in this week. We really appreciate it. We've had some great guests this week, and it's not going to stop now. we got some more tonight. And we'll be here tomorrow, same time, 6 o'clock Pacific, 9 o'clock Eastern time. But have some great guests, like I say, and my interns have been helping us out all week. And today in studio, we have Justine. She's going to be behind the scenes there, going to be helping me press some buttons and making this show just hum like a well-oiled machine. So thanks to her. If you're not following the interns' social media, check it out. It's at Left of Straight Radio on Twitter and Instagram. That's at L-E-F-T-O-F-S-T-R, the number eight, radio. On Instagram and Twitter, Justine has been making some killer videos this week. You might see her one with our foodie of the day, Ramiz, who will be up in just a couple seconds. So be on the lookout for that. If you missed last night's show, and why would you guys? We had a great couple of interviews, and, of course, we started things off with our weekly pop culture minute on Wednesdays from J&J Buzz. That's our good friends, Josh and Jeff from Nashville, Tennessee. They had a couple of cool things on there. And then my first interview was with Florian Klein. Very interesting story. The guy is a German born citizen, moved to the United States, immigrated over here, uh, was an actor, went to four years of acting school in New York, came to LA and couldn't get a job ended up doing porn, of all things. And when he was done with that, he decided to write a musical about it. And so he has a musical he's put together that has been getting rave reviews. It got nominated for two Ovation Awards in L.A. And its songs from the musical were played at the Lincoln Center in New York City. So it's a fascinating story of Florian. And then we finished it up last night with another great story. I interviewed Josh McKenna. Josh is from the UK, created the iconic pride sticker that you all have seen if you're on Instagram. It's the black man with the blue pants and the red high heel shoes kind of leaning backwards and snapping. Josh created that in 2017. He's an amazing graphic artist. It's all really cool art deco. So we talked to him. He's now living in LA from the UK. So some great interviews last night. If you missed that, go check it out. You can download it from your favorite podcast distributor, either right here at Blog Talk Radio, 
You can go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes. You can go to Google Podcasts. We're also on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Spotify. So hit the little subscribe button if you wouldn't mind. I would appreciate that. And you will always find out whenever there's a new episode, you can download the ones you like. Download the ones you like, and I'd be really appreciative. So there is that. Tonight, in just a couple of minutes, we're going to have our very first Foodie Minute. Every other Thursday, we're going to have a Foodie Minute with our special correspondent, Ramis Ellis. Tonight's her first one, so she's just kind of introducing herself to you, and you'll find out a little bit about her. And then starting in two weeks, every other week, she will be doing a fun foodie segment. Everything from recipes to where the cool food trucks are to all sorts of foodie news. So that's going to be exciting. We're going to introduce her in just a couple seconds. Then I have two interviews for you tonight. First up is going to be Brett Shuford. He's calling in live from New York City. He is a Broadway actor, a Broadway coach, and uh, him and his husband are the Broadway husbands. They have their own little Instagram and talk all about different things. It's very cool. And then in the second hour, I have an interview that I just did the other day. It's a pre-taped interview. It's with Mark Evans. He's also an amazing Broadway actor. He's from Wales, UK, been living in the United States for quite a few years now. He was in the touring production of the Book of Mormon all over the country. And he is originating the role of Stu Stewart in Mrs. Doubtfire on Broadway. They had their very first preview right before Broadway shut down in March. But when Broadway gets up and running again, then he will be able to do that. So we're kind of excited to get him back. It's a great interview. So Great night for you tonight. We'll get into all of that and more in just a little bit. Let's go ahead and uh, talk about some things in the news I wanted you to know of. Uh, The cast of Noah's Ark is going to reunite for a special 15th anniversary reunion episode. It's going to be a live stream on Facebook and YouTube July 5th. For those of you that don't know, the series followed the lives of a group of gay African-American men living in L.A. It ran for two seasons on Logo, then it had a kind of a wrap-up movie in 2008. The reunion episode is going to originate the stars of the series, and it's going to be called The Rona Chronicles. It's going to catch up the characters 12 years after the events of the film, and it's actually going to address and be smack dab in the middle of the current protest against police brutality and racial injustice. So it's going to be a very important reunion show streaming on July 5th. Uh, We did have one of the cast members, Rodney Chester, on the other day to talk about his film, As I Am. We're going to try to get the cast of Noah's Ark in before it streams on the 5th. So hopefully next week or the week after, we will get the cast on here to talk about it. So I am excited for that to happen. Also entertainment news, last night, uh, Love Victor, the sequel to Love, Simon, premiered on Hulu. It's a great kind of coming-age gay story that you might want to look into. That's about it. i got a couple other things we'll go over at the end of the hour here. Let's jump in, and I want to introduce you to Ramise. Ramise Ellis out of New York. She's going to tell you all about herself. And I'll be back on the other side. You're listening to Left of Straight Show right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for checking out Left of Straight. To give you a little more of a formal introduction, my name is Ramis, and I am the new food correspondent for the show. 
I'm super excited to be able to connect with you all and contribute my oh-so-vast knowledge of eating to the podcast. But really, it's going to be fun talking about anything to do with food, from popular trends to dishes we all know as classics to places with iconic menus to that online recipe you're just dying to recreate on your own. A few weeks ago, I had my first interview with Scott where we talked about where I come from and how the foodie brand came to be. Now, during this interview, you could probably tell I was a little bit nervous, and that's because I was. But I'm going to try to use this episode as an opportunity to kind of redo that. So, here we go. I was born in Malvern, New York, where I grew up in an exclusively Jamaican household. I was fortunate enough to be surrounded by a ton of culture that I wouldn't trade for the world, and blessed to have food that was always to die for. I didn't appreciate it as much as a kid, but I grew to learn how unique and deep my heritage is, and it makes me really excited when I think about it. Later on, before middle school started, we moved to Middletown, New York, where I was exposed to more opportunities to try foods slightly outside of my comfort zone, but it was also the start of my very first career without even knowing it. I was a competitive athlete for 10 years, and during this time, I had a suggested diet to follow, but I was allowed to try something new whenever the family went out for dinner. As time went on, my thirst for exploration and independence grew stronger, and by 21, I realized that this wasn't the future I truly wanted. I stepped away from that to pursue a lifestyle that included more time for trying new things and growing both internally and externally. I moved out of my parents' house and felt like I could finally fully learn more about myself and what I enjoyed. This was also the time I became more comfortable with my sexuality. So, I eventually took to the streets of New York City as the place I wanted to be to hopefully discover a better me. This change was terrifying, and adulting had been by far the least most exciting thing, but the hunger for wanting to digest more was strong. Fast forward to 2016, I'm looking through my photos and I'm finding my most recent storage space has been hijacked by pictures of tacos and avocado toast and videos of pizza cheese pulls. I have found myself discussing my most recent food endeavors, encouraging people to try that thing I just had, and getting excited about what I can eat on my next trip. That's when I decided a blog was maybe in order. Finally, Feed Remise was born, sort of. The page underwent some cosmetic changes, but the intention stayed pure. On Instagram is where I share my passion for food and show it off with one of my favorite hobbies, photography. I'm slowly coming to enjoy making videos also, but that's a different conversation. Living in NYC, I'm super lucky to get to choose from so many different places with different cuisines and dishes. It would take almost 23 years to eat at every restaurant in New York, so between street foods and reservation only, the options are endless. And having a love for travel sparks a lot of inspiration for chasing down that thing you have to try that you know just won't taste the same at home. But don't get it twisted. I also like to cook. I've recently discovered that I found a slight passion in going in the kitchen every once in a while and, uh, you know, throwing down. (laughs) And it doesn't hurt to be able to say, uh, I can cook, even if it's just a little bit. I hope you're all as excited for this adventure as I am. So check back again in a couple of weeks for a new episode where we can all have our mouths water together. Take care. All righty, we are back, guys. That is Ramise Ellis, our new special correspondent, Foodie. You will see her every other Thursday here. She forgot to give you her Instagram, I think. If she uh, forgot, it is at Feed Ramise. That's at F-E-E-D-R-E-M-I-C-E. That is her Instagram, and she takes beautiful shots of food from all of her restaurant explorations and it'll make you hungry take my word for it i love her instagram feed so be sure to follow that uh let's see we're gonna have brett on in just a couple of moments here what else do i have in my notes uh, for today 
We do have um, a couple other things going on in the news. Uh, oh, of course, DACA today, if you weren't paying attention to the news of the day, the Supreme Court today struck down that the Trump administration overreached in trying to end DACA, which is the program for um, young immigrants that were brought over to this country through no fault of their own to not be deported back to Mexico. And believe it or not, this administration was trying to fight that. They were trying to make people go back home. Um, even though they were born here, they've been going to school here all their lives. They've been working all their lives. And they tried to turn that around. The Supreme Court said today, no, you cannot make that happen. It hasn't protected DACA yet. Only Congress can do that. So now we have to have Congress pass a law on that. But it's getting there. We're getting a little closer. So uh, it was a big step for um, immigration today that the Supreme Court shut down. It was a five to four decision, and Chief Justice John Roberts was the final fifth vote to make that not happen. And he's a conservative. Conservatives are going crazy for it. Of course, him and Neil Gorsuch on Monday overturned for LGBT rights where you cannot discriminate now against um, employment is huge. Uh, Ohio, where I'm at, is one of the 26 states where anyone can fire you and just say it's because you're gay and it's legal. But as of Monday, the Supreme Court said, no, you can't do that anymore. So now it's illegal to fire. There's still a bunch of things that you can do. You can still refuse housing to gay people. You can still refuse a whole bunch of things. But this step in employment was a big one. Because everybody wants to have a job, right? You need to make some money. And now you cannot be fired for being gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender. And transgender was the really important one in gender identity because um, a lot of people would fire you if you were dressing who you really are. So pretty interesting stuff. So, yeah, the conservatives came over on both of these rulings this week, and it's been kind of amazing. Let's go ahead and get ready for Brett to come on. He'll be on in just a couple of seconds here. We're going to play a little song by our buddy Matt Stern up in Canada. And when I come back, we are going to be talking to the one, the only, Mr. Brett Shuford. So take it away, Matt. You're listening to Left of Straight Show right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network. Thoughts of leaving you. 
gals we are back that was our buddy matt stern from canada with keeps me awake and you guys all know how much i love coffee but i don't even think that would keep me awake with a schedule like my next guest he's a broadway actor a broadway life coach a vlogger he does everything from interviews to tips for his craft he's also part of a power couple with his husband steven as part of broadway husbands he's done stage film and television and he's charging through quarantine like a boss with Instagram live remote videos. And I'm so excited he's able to make a few seconds off to call in for us today. Please welcome to the Straight Show for the very first time, Mr. Brett Shuford. Brett, how you doing, buddy? I am so good. It is so nice to talk to you. And I just have to commend you. I am so impressed with the amount of work you are doing to make voices heard right now. Thank you for doing that. I appreciate you saying that. Thank you. And back at you. I am loving. I scroll through your videos like every other day. I'll check something. I'm not even an actor, but I love the tips and I think it's pretty fun. We're going to talk about all that in just a little bit. How are you and Steven holding up? I mean, you guys were in the heart of it for a bit, but I understand you kind of uh, went for a little respite, right? Yeah. we. So I was in, in the Broadway cast of Wicked when the shutdown happened. And, uh, and so I knew, you know, the show happened, the show closed, Broadway was on hold. 
we stayed in our East Village apartment for about 16 days. And we were, it's just so cramped. And Steven teaches a lot of ballet. He's a ballet dancer. He teaches a lot of ballet. And we would have to move the dining furniture in order for him to teach class. And we were doing that three times a day. And I was coaching on the bed in the, in the bedroom. I was like, this is too much. We, we got to go. So we uh, hopped in, we have a car and we hopped in our, our car. It's nothing fancy. And um, drove to Pittsburgh. And we have been housed in Pittsburgh for going on three months now. Not a bad place to be housed. The weather's been halfway decent here, but good. That's awesome. I'm glad you were able to yeah. get away because it is after three months or two months in a, in looking at the same four walls. I don't know how you could do it. So I believe me, I understand you there. Very, very cool. Yeah. Well, it's your first time on the show. I always like to get a little bit of background on my new guest. I know that you are a proud Texan. You're also a twin. I find both of that fascinating. Tell me about where you grew up and what kind of a kid were you? Well, I grew up in southeast Texas. I grew up uh, about an hour and a half east of Houston in Beaumont, Texas. Went to high school in Orange, Texas. And, yeah, I have a twin brother. His name is Bart, Bart and Brett. And we um, – we were the youngest of a set of uh, four boys. And I mean, I, I probably knew I wanted to be on Broadway when I was at least six years old. It was just this thing that I saw my first live performance. I was hooked and you could not have turned me away from it. And that's basically spent my entire life pursuing a life in the theater. Um, so there weren't a lot of boys like me. <laughs> in Southeast Texas, uh, who wanted to sing and act and dance. I definitely stood out uh, in that way. But I was very driven, and my family was very supportive. Um, and, yeah, it was a very – it was, it, you know, with three brothers who all played sports, I definitely was sort of the black sheep in the family. Ah, gotcha. I understand. Well, you say – something really sweet on your website you credit your older brother who has autism for really helping you understand the magic then the fantasy that storytelling tell me about um what he taught you in that kind of environment oh you're gonna make me cry um my oldest brother eric is having a brother with special needs really teaches you the idea of um lo- you know love that has no boundaries i mean he has it's it's completely unconditional love um and challenging as a kid you know it's challenging to be responsible uh for your brother when you don't really understand i mean seriously you know i'm i just turned 41 so autism wasn't a thing 40 years ago 30 years ago right we didn't know what autism was so you know we called him all kinds of things uh, but uh, once we understood that autism existed and understood what it was, it became really clear that that's what he had and has. And I've always really loved being able to spend time with him because his imagination is still there. He has no desire, like no needs except to just be loved, be there. He He, he just really always brings so much joy into my life and i i miss that guy he's really special Mm, i love that though that is awesome Mm -hmm. let's talk a little bit about coming out when did you first 
come out to yourself? And when did you kind of first find your tribe and feel part of the LGBTQ community? Uh, good question. It's funny. I actually have a video on my YouTube channel about my coming out story because it's not, it wasn't very cut and dry. I don't, you know, everyone's story is different, but I had had a dream. I must have been 13 or 14 and had a dream. And in that dream, I was with a man. And I had never, I think I'd kissed a girl in middle school, but it never, it felt gross. It felt weird. And I didn't really understand. Um, you know, my mom, who is amazing now, but at the time really was ignorant and didn't have any friends that were gay, didn't really understand what that was. And she was a nurse. So you're talking about a woman who was a nurse in the 80s. So her mm. limited knowledge of gay people was, was de- dealing, helping them with their AIDS and their right. HIV in the hospital. So she's got a little boy skipping and singing and dancing. And, and I think she just immediately ingrained in her head, he's not going to be gay. He's not going to be gay. And I remember at 10 years old, her actually saying those words to me, I'm so proud of you. You're so talented and you're not gay. And it was this Ooh. sort of, psychological attempt to to make it real but it also really made really made it challenging for me to learn to accept myself it took a lot of time and my when I was 13 I had this dream you know what kind of dream and I uh I remember I thought oh my god I had a dream about being with a man oh maybe but it but to me I knew I wasn't gay but I was attracted to men. So I couldn't be gay, but I was attracted to men. It was like this weird <laughs> dichotomy. And I, and I, I just right. I didn't really understand how to make sense of that. So most of my high school days, I, uh, I remember I tried to come out my, when I was 14. I told my mom I thought I might be gay. She said, you're too young to know. You should pray about it. Go to church. And you need to get a job. So I got a job at the local McDonald's. <laughs> And let me tell you what the drive-through of the McDonald's in Orange, Texas is like. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it, so that was tough. And then, I, uh, and then I, I guess my senior year, I, I got, I, I basically, I was very unhappy that at that time, my freshman year. And I thought, if this is what being gay is, if being unhappy means being gay, then I'm not gay. So I basically tried to put myself back in the closet and went to church and prayed. I quote unquote dated a girl, which consisted of me and her driving around in her car, listening to Les Mis. And every now and then I'd like, like I would like rub her boobs, but not under her bra. And then I would just go home. Um, And that was like it. And then my senior year, I got cast as Joseph in the amazing Tiger Color Dreamcoat at the Beaumont Community Players. And it, there was something about the confidence that playing the lead in that show gave me that I had this, like, click. This click happened where it was like, oh, I don't have to change who I am to be gay. It is just like this one – it's like the fingernail size of who I am. Like, it's just this part of who I am. And it's not mm. all of who I am. And when I came to terms with that, it was just like I accepted it. I was like, oh, I'm gay, whatever. And I remember when my mom came to me, she said, she, she could tell I was more confident. She said, what's going on with you? What's going on with this gay thing? She said, 
And I said, oh, I'm pretty sure I am. And she said, she started crying. This is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. This is worse than when my father died. Her father had died of cancer a couple of years before that. Oh my and goodness. I don't know where it, yeah, it was very dramatic. And I don't know where at 17 I had the wherewithal to say, this has nothing to do with you. Wow. And after about six months, and that was my senior year, and I graduated, uh, I met someone who said one of the smartest things uh, to help me at that time. And he said, you know, if you really love someone and you want them in your life, it becomes your responsibility to educate them. Mm, very and, true. And, you know, if you really want them in your life, you have to tell them, like, you know, help them understand their ignorance. And so I read a book about a mother's story coming out, um, about her son coming out. I sent it to my mom. She read it. She called me crying. She's like, I never understood that it wasn't a choice. Now I understand. She read more books. And they're just really so open and accepting now. But it was a, it was a journey. It was a real journey. Hmm. But it's powerful, though, and I think it, they help other people learn, too, because no one – no one understands more than a mom once they understand for real, right? So that's kind of yeah. cool she was able to come around for that. Because a lot of people don't get that. So that's pretty awesome. Let's and talk I will about say this. this whole... oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. sorry go ahead. No, you I go was ahead. just going to say, I, I, I don't think that this, I don't think that the, your job ends there. Like once they're like, oh, like you're gay. Okay. I accept it. There's still a lot of heteronormative, ideas that I've had to still teach my mom, like, you know, when, and my dad, when I married Stephen, they didn't offer to help us at all with the wedding and had to point out that they paid for three divorces for my brothers. Why wouldn't they help me pay for my wedding? You know, but they just don't think, right. They don't think about those things. They're just like, Oh, Brett's going to get married because, but they don't see it as, you know, and you have to kind of help nurture those relationships if you, if you really want. And I, and I, and I think now we're all learning how to do that in a different way, how to really call people out when exactly. they're short-sighted, you know? No, exactly. I think you're 100% there. And especially, I mean, that's one of the things that Pride Month was always about to me. It's not just um, having a party. It's finding out the history, um, standing up for the rights, finding out what your history is and what to do with it, and kind of get, make those connections. And the same thing is happening now with Black Lives Matter. It's very important that we don't stop. We need to kind of call out things for what it is. For our community mm-hmm. during Pride, for the Black Lives Matter, during um, the, this hopeful sea change that we're seeing now uh, in that community, um, we mm-hmm. were founded on black trans women um, for the gay rights movement. and. Stonewall. So mm-hmm. it's like there's a lot of similarities. I think we're finally starting to see those similarities because it's not always been a, a smooth road between the black community and the LGBTQ community. And I think we're kind of trying just through this thing, since it's happening now after COVID, during Pride Month, that we have a lot more in common than we thought originally. At least that's what I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, very, very interesting. Let's get into your career a bit, Brett. I mean, I love, I'm such a Broadway fan. Tell me what actually brought you out 
to New York City. I love Disney. You have a lot of Disney connection uh, with Beauty and the Beast and Little Mermaid. You actually got to even write, produce, direct, and act for Disney. Talk about that part of your career. Well, honestly, I think that my next my next phase of my life, you know, after we have a child and I go into retirement, I really want to work in Disney Imagineering. Like that's the dream to just grow old working in California, helping, helping Disney Imagineering. I mean, I nice. have a huge, huge passion for Disney. I ended up moving to New York in uh, 1999 to finish college. And I went to Wagner College, which is in Staten Island. And I got my degree 2001. And three months later, the attack happened on the Twin Towers. Mm-hmm. And it, that was such a challenging time for me. And my really at that time, I remember I didn't have a lot of coping skills. When you come from a Southern family and suburban life with a very, you know, codependent nature you would have of having a brother with special needs and, and being sort of closeted most of your childhood, you don't really learn the coping skills you need to, to live in New York City. <laughs> mm, interesting. <laughs> I didn't think of it that way. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember when I moved to New York and I was going to school at Wagner College in Staten Island, there were all these kids from Jersey and Brooklyn and I would always be smiling, little blonde-haired, blue-eyed, smiling, and they'd be like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, 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 had to learn how, I had to learn how to, you know, navigate life a little differently because New York, they'll tell you the truth. They'll call you out. In the South, they tend to be very, oh, bless his heart, you know. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so I, I got to New York, and I'd always wanted to be in New York. It was always a dream. Uh, to live there and 9-11 happened I luckily I was able to work I worked regionally I was a really strong dancer uh, and I and I sang really well and so I was really great for ensemble work and and then I could act so they would always make me an understudy and so I ended up getting my first Broadway show which was Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and which Sherman Brothers, right? I'm a Disney I nerd. Love Chitty Chitty I'm Bang working. Bang. I never got to see the right. play, but I was obsessed for a kid well, watching the movie. It didn't run very long, but the the biggest blessing from that show, besides the cast who I who I loved, was working with Richard Richard and Robert Sherman. And I, I remember, I would just every time I was near them, I'd be like, "Tell me a story about Walt." And Richard would tell some story about going to Walt's office and playing some song for him and feed the birds, or he would tell me these stories and I would just be all ears. That was a huge blessing. And then right after that, I, I booked Beauty and the Beast, which was my second Broadway show. And I joined the company in its 13th year. I think it was going into its 12th or 13th year. I got to do that with Donny Osmond and John Tartaglia and some amazing, uh, made some amazing friends from that. And that was my in with Disney theatrical. And so when they were casting for the little mermaid, they knew me from beauty and the beast. So I got an appointment, I got in, and then I ended up getting cast as the understudy for Prince Eric in the original cast of the little mermaid. 
Nice. Probably one of the most um, influential moments in my life, honestly, because at that time I met Steven and I'm originating my first Broadway show and it's a huge Disney, you know, property and, you know, hit. And there was the recession hit right at the same time. And I was, it was such a blessing to be employed during that time. And Stephen and I met and fell in love. It, it was just really one of the most profound two years of my career, my life uh, doing that. And so that was my end with Disney. Amazing. I spent those two, those, yeah, those couple of years. And then I ended up creating a show, a solo show that I called Charming, A Tale of an American Prince, which was this sort of bio jukebox solo cabaret piece I did where I used all these songs that Prince is singing, including Prince the Artist, um, to tell the story about coming, about a guy from the, about a prince from the kingdom of Texas who, <laughs> who goes looking for his own kingdom. And then Disney actually uh, paid me to go out on one of their cruise ships and perform that show on their main stage on the Disney Magic a couple of years ago. Oh, that was wow, cool. that's so cool. That's very yeah. cool. I love yeah. it. I got to tell you, I was never, never been a cartoon person that much. I don't know why, just not a big cartoon or animated person. But I mm-hmm. love Disney, the play, and Nick Adams, of course, from Priscilla and everything, was in the touring company of Little Mermaid, was out here in Pittsburgh, played it in Pittsburgh. Yeah. And that's the first time that I'd really seen that play, and that got me to watch the movies, because I'd never seen the Disney <laughs> movies, uh, Beauty or the Beast or Little Mermaid, any of those. Kind of that. I'm just not into animated, but then once I saw the play, it's like, okay, I can get in the animated. I love the story. So that's very cool. I like that a lot. Okay, we can still nice. be friends now. That's good. There you go. <laughs> I know. For a second, I was in trouble. I did I did hang out. I'm, I'm a Southern California boy. I've been uh, banished to Northeast Ohio, as I like to tell everybody. But I was born and raised for 29 years in Southern California and actually lived in Anaheim so you could see the Matterhorn from my backyard <sighs> for two years. No. So that was wonderful. Uh, <sighs> it was great. And it's it's a very interesting story. Um, because everyone in Anaheim and the surrounding cities that are real close to it during the summertime, that's how the kids know when to go home. Everyone's curfew is nine o'clock. It's under like 15 years old because at nine o'clock every night during the summer, Disney does a fantastic firework display every, every night during the summer. And that's how the kids knew when to go home in Anaheim. (laughs) It's such a cool thing. But yeah, I, I'm I'm with you on Disney. I'm a Disney fan. I got to actually know a couple Disneyland, people at Disney. Disneyland is my favorite. Get you in. There you, oh, it's great. Really? I love it. Love, yeah. <laughs> I will. I will do that. It is who you know in this business. I have learned that part for you guys. That's for sure. So I will I will give Absolutely. you some connections there. Let's sure. go to the next phase too. I mean, you did some amazing other work, you've done film, you've done television. Talk about anything that draws you. You're obviously Broadway goes through your blood, but doing the other mediums, um, television, uh, Scorsese movies, pretty impressive. What do you like about that part of the acting profession? Well, I, 
you know, after I did, uh, after we closed Little Mermaid, I did do it like a, a national tour and I worked regionally, but I really made a goal to pursue some television film work. And by chance, I just, I didn't even know how it happened. I ended up getting an audition for The Wolf of Wall Street. I had to go in and, and actually improvise for Martin Scorsese for that movie. It was one of the most scary auditions I've ever had. And I booked it, and I remember I couldn't believe it, right? I, I mean, who am I to be booking a major motion <laughs> picture like that? I got to got to spend an entire week ne- sitting next to Matthew McConaughey and across from Leonardo DiCaprio. I had one line. It didn't even make it into the film because the film was like four hours long. Um, but that week was was so cool, especially as a Texas boy, to be hanging out with Matthew McConaughey and talking about Texas. That was pretty damn cool. But I really, really, yeah, I really love doing television film work. It just, it's something about the the workload is just so much more humane. (laughs) Eight shows a week is tough. And when you do it eight shows a week for a really long extended amount of time, the schedule takes a toll, your body takes a toll. Um, And... Yeah, I mean, it really, it really can be an exhausting but completely rewarding experience. I uh, have been lucky to do small roles in, on television, uh, you know, like Law and Order SVU and The Good Fight. But I also have done a lot of independent film and uh, and little projects like that, which I really, which I really loved doing. There was one film, my first project actually that I ever did on camera was a short film, gay-themed film called Bedfellows. And hmm. that, I, I did not, well, you'll have to look it up because I don't even remember how it happened. I mean, I think I just submitted myself. And that film went international, and I gained all of these international fans from that little nice. short film. I remember thinking that was so random. That was so long ago. <laughs> I will have to check it out, though. I love that. That's kind of a cool story, though. Maybe. Yeah, Bedfellows. So I really want to pursue more of that, uh, but I really love the theater, and it's definitely where my heart lies. There you go. Well, New York is becoming such a great place for television now. I mean, before it was really bad. But now, ever since, I mean, you, you had Madam Secretary move there, and a lot of it was always like Law and Order and commercials is all you had there for a long time. Now there's quite a bit of production mm-hmm. around in and around the city, right, for television. Yeah, there, well, there there was until the shutdown. I'm curious, curious to see what's going to happen when things return. Yeah, so fingers crossed for that. Hopefully, everyone will get back and mm-hmm. running again pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Well, let's kind of can transition that. I want to go from your acting. Um, I want to talk about um, I want to talk about the Broadway husbands for a second. We're going to finish up with your coaching. Talk about how you and Stephen decided to create this, what the goal of it was, and kind of the fun that you're having with it. Because it looks like you guys are having a blast together. You guys are so easy breezy with each other, which is, I guess, is important if you're husband. But uh, talk about that experience. <laughs> Yeah, when I was, I decided to start creating content 
2014, I was doing this musical on Broadway called Paramore, Cirque du Soleil show. And I really wanted a creative outlet. So I started my YouTube channel and was, was actively creating content. And one of the ideas I had was every time I would post anything that had me and Steven, it would always get the biggest response. So I thought, mm-hmm. what if we create this hashtag Broadway Husbands? And then I create this series and it was so popular that I was like, what if we just create a separate account altogether? And in two years, we've got over 36,000 Instagram followers and it's become this, and now we have a podcast and it's become this um, amazing thing that we get to do together because I'm not a ballet dancer the way he is. And we've never actually done a show together. Um, Mm. So found like I really wanted us to create together we're both artists how can we do something together how can we help I know when I was a kid I would have loved to have seen an example of what a gay healthy gay marriage couple could be and know how they live their lives and so that was really our our goal and our mission is to help show people and normalize gay marriage and a life in the arts so all of our content is really based around how, how do we do that? How do we show people you can do that and be truthful and honest? Because I do think that sometimes we see a lot of really pristine uh, influencers who, who curate their feed and are very careful about what they post. And we really want to try to be honest and authentic and, and, and vulnerable, which, which can be hard to do. Well, I was going to say that because I think there is a lot of people that um, do it for everyone's life on Instagram is um, the perfect life, right? Twitter is where you get into fights. Facebook is where you keep in touch with your old high school friends. And uh, Instagram seems to be your best life in the world. And I love when people keep it real. I never understand how people can only post pictures of themselves and not of things they're doing and different things like that. And you guys really do have a great blend. I can see why it's grown so much. And again, as you say, it's got to be great to actually have a project you guys can work on together. Exactly. Exactly. And it's, it's really been, um, it's really been fun. It's blown up much more than we thought it would. We just keep, keep plugging away. And I'm really glad we have, we have that to focus on right now too, especially with Broadway being shut down and we can't really audition. How can we help people during this time? You know? Well, you guys are killing it, doing great stuff there. <laughs> and I did want to touch on, you mentioned a little bit, you guys are looking to be uh, not only Broadway husbands, but Broadway daddies. I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah. You guys have a little goal for that. How is that coming along? You know, we, started that journey about two and a half years ago we wanted we we really started weighing out our options about adoption versus surrogacy we spent probably six months really learning about the differences and the options and and we decided you know to choose the path of surrogacy for a multitude of reasons um you know that that we thought very carefully about and so that process is super expensive and requires a lot of elements, including finding a surrogate and getting the embryos and all these things we didn't really know it involved. 
And so we started that process and then, you know, shows closed. We moved. We actually moved to Charleston, South Carolina for uh, a year, and then we moved back last year to New York City. And our we had a surrogate who we had a surrogate who bailed on us uh, about halfway through the process, and then we now are starting over from scratch, finding a new surrogate. So it keeps getting delayed, mm. and we and we also see the blessings in that. How you know it's just it's going to happen when it's supposed to happen, and right. we just keep taking it one one day at a time. And right now, I think, funny enough, like we we were literally supposed to have a meeting with our potential surrogate the Monday after everything shut down. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, I mean, I think timing is right. I mean, this would be a very tough time for that to happen. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think when it's supposed to happen, it's supposed to happen. Now, were you guys working um, with um, the what's Kyle and uh, the third group? I'm trying to remember. Um, Kyle Massey and um, Elevate. Yeah, and, uh, Are you working through Elevate yeah, with them. No, we actually we talked to Kyle, but we didn't start with them uh, because I actually didn't know about it. And then when I joined Wicked, because Kyle was in Wicked, everyone was like, "You should talk to Kyle." <laughs> right. Yeah. Him and Taylor. I didn't know about it either until the other day, to be honest. And I'm going to have him come on the show and talk about it very soon. Um, I just uh, chopped them out the other day, but yeah, I didn't know that. I think that's kind of a cool service. I didn't even know there was anyone out there doing that. So that's pro- I mean, I'm sure there was, but I didn't know that two Broadway boys were doing it and kind of killing it from what I hear. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. They're doing really well. well very cool. Well, good luck to you and Steven. As you said, when the time is right, it's going to happen. You two are going to make amazing fathers. So I'm very happy for you. Thank that's you. Very Thank cool. you. All right, well, let's go into this coaching. I can't believe you said that how uh, unsure of yourself you were for uh, going into Scorsese because you are killing it in your advice there. Um, Amazing stuff. Talk about what got these classes started and what, what they've done for not only your students, but what they've done for you and your confidence as well. I was backstage at the Little Mermaid and I was standing in the wings dressed as a stingray and I was standing next to this guy Merwin Ford who was dressed as a blowfish (laughs) and I was having like a day right it was like a Saturday matinee and I just wasn't in the mood and we're about to go out and do under the sea and I remember I said to him is this where you thought your career would be and he said to me, Brett, this isn't, he said, Brett, this isn't a career, it's a job. And it hit me like a light bulb. It was like, oh, this is just a job. Like, how do I, how do I change my perception of this? Because to me, I was measuring my success by the, by the quality of, of what I was doing. Like, why wasn't I doing a new Sondheim piece? Or why, you know, like, you know, like measuring this idea of success against what I thought other people were thinking of me, you know, it really started to shift the way I saw things that how damn lucky I was to be doing that show at that time, to be working. How come I couldn't see that clearly? And if I was thinking that way, a lot of people are thinking that way. And there's, 
theater, and we're learning this now too, that especially New York theater has really adopted, it's probably one of the oldest systems, like the system of the, which theater operates is very antiquated. And it, it is because it's a, it's an analog medium, you know, it requires physical, you can't do something, you know, besides maybe some projection mapping or something, you can't do digital work on stage. It requires human beings, right. it requires text, it requires physical, right? And so even the, you know, we're learning about, the, there's a huge movement happening in the theater world right now with Black Lives and uh, and broadly really trying to create equality within the theater community. But that really comes from this old idea of leadership that the producer has all the power, they have all the money, and we all bow down to him or her. And we, there's really not a lot of equity and leadership that happens within that world. It's just about getting the show up, taking a risk. Sometimes the show runs and sometimes it closes. How do you help people find fulfillment in that kind of setting? How do you help people navigate who they are and discover who they are and own who they are as a human being while being a commodity at the same time. It's a really hard balance to find. And so I felt like I really found this way of confidently speaking up when appropriate and confidently creating when I felt like I had the impulse to create and continuing to audition and not apologize for who I was. And I really wanted to help other people be able to do the same. That's amazing. I love that. Very, very cool. I love that I've gone, like I said, I go through your videos from time to time. I've been going through it for research. I've been doing it the last couple of weeks. Uh, I love the one video from a few months back on being a successful actor. It's about setting expectation, almost like, the secret where you really have to know your worth and know what you expect it to happen for it to happen. Um, mm. I think that's so important as far as confidence goes uh, in any yeah. profession, but acting especially. Talk about what are some, I like the way you break the things down to three steps or something like that. Talk about your style of these videos and what you're trying to get across. Sure. So, uh, mostly what I done, had done on my YouTube channel was a lot of vlogging and backstage, behind-the-scenes stuff. But I really want – I get a lot of questions from people who are just starting out who are like, uh, tell me my type. Tell me uh, what songs I should sing. Tell me what the casting director is going to think of me. And my intention really is to get actors and people out of this – out of this idea that someone outside of me is going to tell me how to see how to be seen and get to a place where how do I sit inside of myself and discover who I am and own that? Because that's really what people want. Mm. They want to work right. with a, a wholehearted, full, full rounded human being, not necessarily what you think that they want. And I really want to help actors. So what I'm doing with my YouTube channel right now really is, teaching actors just what really matters when it comes to starting out as an actor, your craft, you have to be good at what you do. You got to understand the craft of being an actor. If you're a singer of being a great singer, if you're a dancer of 
being is, and that means studying constantly your craft. But the business right. requires that you the business requires that you make authentic connections with human beings. You build relationships like you were just saying earlier. It requires you to this whole business to know people. Yep. And if you want people to if you want people to know you, you gotta know you. Mm, I like that. So that's Very my powerful. intention is to help help people really find out who they are and own it so that they have a long career because if you're just trying to get to the other end of a job, your career ends there. Right. Right. Well said. Well, I love that. And I love, that's one of the things I love most about the Broadway community. You guys really step up during these times. I think everyone's learning their creative style, but you're able to take what you have and not just do it for your own good, but do it for others. We're going to have, Mark Evans on in just a couple of minutes and him and his husband are doing classes for children this summer. You have your classes. We'll talk about in a second, how they can find you to do actual um, personal coaching lessons. We have Broadway giving back and doing streaming things for the actors fund. It's just such a great community. It seems from the outside. Um, do you, do you feel just like it's gotta be kind of exciting to be part of this community? I don't know. You tell me. I, I am so proud to have accomplished. I mean, like I said, I had this dream when I was six, six years old, and I'm so proud of myself, and I'm proud of this community because I know when they, when the community as a whole sees that something's wrong or somebody somewhere within the community is being excluded, which we're hearing a lot of stories, like I said, of our black brothers and sisters within the community feeling like they don't belong. This organ, this community will step up and they will shift. They will change. They will make room for people because that's what theater is about. And mm-hmm. I'm so proud of the ability that so many of my peers are allowing other voices that have normally not been heard to be heard. They're giving vehicles and, and chances and opportunities. It is really one of the coolest, most unique things. And I know people who've worked in the West End and in LA and they they always say there is nothing like the Broadway community. And I think that's totally true. I love that. Very well said. And I feel it from the outside, my friend. Well, we have to mm. start wrapping stuff up here. Please let my listeners know your website so they can book a coaching session. Talk about when you're doing coaching, coaching sessions and where they can find all of your social media, both yours and with Steven. Yeah, sure. The best thing to do right now for coaching is check out this free project I'm doing right now called the secureactorproject.com where I'm doing weekly interviews. Today I interviewed Jack Plotnick, who's an amazing actor from LA. Um, and in and, and there we meet different people from the, from the industry. It's totally free and it's an, a way to help people structure their time during this craziness. So you can check out secureactorproject.com. You can follow me at Brett Shuford on Instagram. You can follow at Broadway Husbands on Instagram. Check out our podcast, which is on the Broadway Podcast Network. And, in fact, Mark and Justin were guests on our podcast. I love those guys. And, um, and then check out Stephen at Stephen with a P-H, R, Hannah, uh, at, uh, on Instagram. So that's all of us. 
if you have a connection, I might like him on my show as well. So if you, if you could if you can talk to his people for me, I'd appreciate it. <laughs> Who, Jack Plotnick or Steven? No, to Steven. <laughs> oh yeah, I do have a connection. Let me see if I can talk to his people. <laughs> there you go. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh my goodness, Brett Schuford, it's been an absolute pleasure getting to know you. I'm going to be bringing the show for a week of shows in New York in September and you guys have to come on in person. We have to have a cocktail or a coffee. That would be wonderful. Uh, Amazing. Thanks so much, my friend. It's been amazing to have you in the left of straight show. All right. Talk to you soon. Take care. No problem. Stay on the line for me for a second here. We'll talk off air guys. We're going to play out a little bit of music here. And in a moment, we're going to be having one of uh, Brett's peers, Mark Evans, he got to play one whole show, I believe, in the new Mrs. Doubtfire <laughs> before they closed down the theaters uh, for one preview. But we had an amazing chat the other day, so we're going to play that for you. And I'll be back to wrap things up at the end. You're listening to the Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network.
right, you guys, we are back. That was Tommy Atkins with Wild in the Wind. If you missed Tommy's interview, be sure to check the Left and Straight Show archives. We had a great talk. He's an amazing country western singer from the U.K. But let's get right on to my next guest, guys and gals. He came across my radar. One of my followers suggested I check out his Instagram, that she loved seeing him in Waitress on Broadway. I finally got around to checking out, learning more about him. I'm so happy I was able to reach out and get share his story with you all. He's an accomplished actor both here in the States and the U.K. and performed in such great shows as Wicked, Book of Mormon, The Aforementioned Waitress, and Mrs. Doubtfire. He's a newlywed, tying the knot back in September last year, and his fellow actor and husband are co-directing an online summer camp. As well, he's recently taught a free acting workshop through song. I'm excited to talk to him all about his craft and giving back. Please welcome to Left This Straight Show for the very first time, Mr. Mark Evans. Mark, how you doing, buddy? I'm great, Scott. What an introduction. That's, I feel like that's a podcast in itself. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, you have had quite an illustrious career, my friend. It's great to get to know you. As I said, a fan actually told me to reach out, and I did. And thank you so much for responding. It's great to have you. My pleasure. Well, let's talk for a quick second before we get into the interview. I know it's a very hard time for Broadway actors especially, but outside of work, just being a New Yorker now, how have you and your husband been dealing with everything that's going on? How are you guys holding up? It's, I mean, you know, it's, it ebbs and flows. It comes in waves. Sometimes we feel like we're handling it really well, like a couple of rock stars, and we're proud of ourselves. And other times we feel like, oh, my God, tearing our hair out. The little hair we have left, because, right. of course, we followed the suit, and he buzzed my hair off. Um, <laughs> we actually are very grateful, though, because about 18 months ago, we um, actually moved out of the city to um, a house that we bought in uh, West Orange in New Jersey. So we are living the best oh, nice. suburban lives we could. So um, we're grateful for the space. We have a big backyard, so we have, you know, access to just being outdoors. We have a great neighborhood. So, um you know, and although things are calming down with the coronavirus right now, you know, especially at the beginning when the, the numbers were escalating, escalating, just the thought right. of all of my friends and colleagues in the city was, was kind of terrifying. Um, I think now that it's getting to, you know, just the reopening up stage, just thinking like, oh, yeah, everybody else is going to start hopefully going back to work and stuff. But when Broadway and theater start opening up again, nobody knows, really. Word on the street is potentially right. January, February, but, you know, I, not, I'm not informed by anyone by this, so you can't quote me on it, but in my opinion, I don't see how it, it can happen. I don't see how it can happen until, you know, there's a vaccine or we have a much more of a handle on making sure that everybody is safe on stage and in the audience. Exactly. I mean, besides the safety factors, Broadway, we know, cuts things so close money-wise, if they had to cut all the seats that needed to keep everyone safe, there just wouldn't be any money to be made by anybody. So it's it's Exactly. The business model just doesn't work. The business model doesn't work. And so much of Broadway, you know, um, uh, relies on tourism. And, you know, if airlines aren't functioning where they can bring people into the city, it's just, it's going to, I have absolute faith and confidence that Broadway will get back to where it was and be stronger. But I think it's going to take some time. Who knows how much time, but I think, you know, it's going to take a while. It's not going to happen immediately in January. It's going to be baby steps. Um, 
but I do feel grateful that I have a job to go back to. You know, we're confident that Mrs. Doubtfire is going to do its best to still be a success whenever we're allowed to reopen. Fantastic. We'll talk about all that. And I love that the community is doing so great through the interwebs right now with some great streaming. And we're going to talk about your content in a bit. But since it's your first time on the show, let's do a little bit of background on you. Um, I know you're from Wales. I got to say that uh, Torchwood and John Barrowman is my only kind of reference to Wales. And part of there. Talk about um, growing up, where you grew up, and what kind of a kid were you? Absolutely. Um, I am a farmer's son from the hills of North Wales, literally like a mile away from the nearest like main road up like a, a little more than a dirt track. Um, so very isolated, very different as a kid. You know, Wales is known as the land of song, but it's also known as, you know, rugby players, football players, soccer um, and farmers. And so, you know, I was an overweight um, dancer boy puff, as everyone would call me. And I was quite badly bullied at school. Um, oh, no. And so much as I wasn't aware of, you know, it's harder to look back and think of what I went through as a teenager. I, it, it, um, I'm so impressed by the uh, tough sort of like thick skin that kids and teenagers adopt. Um, it didn't seem to bother me at the time. I was just, I was just showing up to school. Don't really like school, but I'm just getting through it. But then when I think back okay. as an adult and when I finally come to terms with me and my sexuality and being so proud and grateful for what I have as a gay man now, um, I think back to being a teenager and walking the school halls and just being afraid of being who I was or not really knowing who I was. That was really, really tough. Um, and, right. you know, I was a, bit of, I was a mummy's boy, uh, much closer to my mom than I was with my dad, although I'm closer than both now. Um, but I, I left home at 16 um, to go to, um, I trained as a dancer first for a year. Um, it was a three-year course, but I left after a year to move down to London to study musical theater. Um, and so I graduated by the time I was 20. So from the age of 16 to 20, I grew up very, very quickly, um, became fiercely independent. And, um, you know, if you want something done, you better go out and get it done because no one is going to do it for you. And that comes with mm. its own set of problems long term. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'm very, very grateful that I started singing when I was 10, acting when I was 11 and dancing when I was 12 because I found my people. I found my collection of weirdos who I felt like, you know, it was cool to not be cool. Um, and, you know, I, uh, I, I, I would go to the theater with my mom. Um, and I remember watching the national tour of fame, the musical and West Side Story. And I feel like it would be the equivalent of someone else seeing like Beyonce or like Stevie Wonder or Lady Gaga, just icons. I was like, oh, my God, these people are, like, amazing to me. How do I do that? That's what I want to do. Um, and I did a nice. summer school when I was 15 years old and went down to do this, this one-week musical theater summer school and just felt like, wow, this is what I want to do. And from then, it was, like, no stopping me. <laughs> That's fantastic. Oh, my God, I love that so much. We'll talk about that coming out experience for just a second. I know I don't really like to get into all the coming out stories. Those are very personal. But when did you first come out to yourself and when did you find your LGBTQ tribe? Was it back early in theater or when do you kind of feel part of the community? Yeah, I mean, I'm happy to talk about that. Um, I 
So as I said, I left home at 16. I've never, as far as I'm aware, I have never met person. Um, although since then, I found out that my cousin is gay. So yes, I had, but obviously he was closeted as well. Gotcha. But um, when I went to dance college, um, there was only three of us um, boys in the whole of the three years. Um, and we all happened to be in the first year. And one of the other two boys happened to be gay, but we were both closeted. And so that's where we first started having our um, first experiences together. Started on a Halloween party at um, the house that I shared with three girls. And, you know, it was eye contact across the room that held a little too long. And it was like, oh, my God, it's, what? I feel like he's like me, whatever I am. Um, and... Mm. We had, you know, we started dating in like secretly and then let a couple people know, a couple, like my roommates and a couple of his close friends. He didn't live nearby. Um, he was still living at home. So he would get a bus 45 minutes in every day. So occasionally he would stay over at mine. And uh, one time we had a big argument. I can't remember what it was about, but he, he went home. He called his mom to come get him. And uh, about two hours later, he called me. And he said, I just came out to my mom and dad. And I was like, what? How? Why? And he said, well, she saw how upset I was. And she said, is Mark your boyfriend? And he said, yes. And he inspired me so much with his bravery that I called my mom immediately and just said, I'm coming home this weekend because I went home every weekend to work at the restaurant that we used to work at together. Um, and mm -hmm. I said, and I need to talk to you about something. She's like, okay, do you want to talk about it now? And I was like, no. I talk about it on the weekend. I just knew that while I had this little bee in my bonnet about like this spark of determination and motivation and courage, I uh, I needed to tell her so then she could hold me accountable for um, telling her. But it was the it was possibly one of the worst weekends ever. Told her mm. after you know she was like, "What do you want? To, so what do you want to talk about?" I'm like, "Nothing, nothing, it's fine." And like we'd work together at the restaurant that night and then work together the next day and. Um, Eventually, I ended up telling her and found the, the courage and the bravery to do it. And she was devastated. She was absolutely devastated. N not because she was ashamed of me. She just didn't really understand it. I mean, you know, we're talking sure. 20, uh, like 18, 19 years ago now. Um, and she was just worried for me because she knew that I was badly bullied at school because they used to call me all of the, you know, nasty the F word and, you know, gay boy, dancer boy. Um, and so she just became concerned that I was going to have more of that in my life. And I reassured her, you know, especially once I got down to London, like it's kind of harder to be straight in musical theater than it is to be gay. <laughs> That's when you have your sexuality questioned. Um, right. But she, she decided um, that my dad wouldn't understand. And so we didn't tell him for another seven years. I told my siblings. Oh, wow. But, um, I was 20, 24 when I eventually told my dad, and he handled it beautifully. I turned off the TV. I was like, can I talk to you about something? And I told him, and he was like, yeah, I kind of wondered. I wondered whether Sally, my friend, was, was your girlfriend for a while, and then I thought, no. So that's fine. And it's, <laughs> you know, I think the difference of telling my mom as a 17-year-old boy and telling my dad as a 24-year-old young man um, was a big difference. But... Um, Right. You know, just it's you know, it's people think people think that once you come out, it's great, it's fine. And I felt that I was supposed to be fine all of a sudden, but I still didn't feel confident. You know, I was very aware of myself if I was ever too effeminate and stuff. All these um, 
behavioral things that I had adopted growing up, being so afraid of being caught out. And it's only really, to be honest, once I turned 30, 31, I'm 35 now. And once I met Justin and realized what gay pride is to me, gay pride to me is knowing that like, were I not gay, I wouldn't have all of this stuff that I value more than anything in my life right now. Um, and I feel so grateful that I am gay and that I met him um, and that I'm part of a community that I celebrate. But it took some time and I hate that it took that amount of time because, you know, for heterosexual couples, it, it's, it, you're, you're raised to think that it's the norm. And I'm glad that we are making huge strides to, you know, and progress in making it, um, making young LGBTQ plus um, people feel slightly more seen than they ever have. And, you know, there's still a way to go, but I'm happy with the progress we're making. Well said, my friend. I love all of that. And to heck with those bullies. I mean, if they could just see you now, of course, let's talk about some history, uh, get into some of these projects before uh, we were on this forced hiatus. I mean, starting out in Wicked as a second understudy, then going on as the lead with Fierro, uh, <laughs> played the lead in High School Musical, one of the leads in Rocky Horror, Talk about your theatrical experience in the UK. Um, what was that like for you? Well, first of all, thank you for doing your research. And not many people do, so I appreciate that you know some stuff already. Um, but yeah, I was working in an ensemble of shows um, in London. Uh, I was in the original West End cast of Spamalot. And then I went over to, to, yeah, to be in the ensemble of Wicked. And then I left there knowing that I wanted to have a bit more responsibility. I wanted to try and play lead roles. And fortunately for me, it happened pretty quickly. My next job actually was the lead in High School Musical um, in London. And then from there, it was Rocky Horror Show and the National Tour of Oklahoma. And then it, the first time I felt really confident as a leading man was when after Oklahoma, I, went, I was invited back to Wicked to take over the role of Fierro, which I'd understudied. And I was like, oh, okay, great. Now it's it's happening now. I've done the groundwork. I've kind of like done, I've created a foundation for myself. And I allowed myself to believe that I was worthy of being a leading man. Um, and I then from that. there, yeah, it took some time. I remember auditioning for a show and the casting director called my agent and said, yeah, he's going to get a call back, but he just needs to walk in like a leading man. And I was like, what the hell does that look like? I'm supposed to just sort of slug on my shoulders a little bit more or something. Like, you know, you, I, I'm a firm believer. I do a lot of teaching um, and, and directing. And I'm a firm believer in, like, you, there's only a certain amount you can do without getting a break. And I just feel very grateful that I got my break and I was able to figure out what it means to be a leading man because there is quite a lot to learn. Um, but anyway, my next job after that was um, the, the Patrick Swayze role in Ghost, the musical in the West End. And that was my last job in London before I came over to take over the role of Elder Price in the Book of Mormon on the tour here. I to talk about the tour because I love that you were in that all the way from San Francisco to New York. Talk about doing that tour, what it meant to you, and traveling all over the country like that. Coming from the UK, what made you decide on settling in New York? I mean, I had only ever visited New York before doing the, the tour. Um, that was the only place in America that I visited. Um, and I'd fallen in love with it. And I remember after my first visit to the city, I went back, told my British agent, you know, at some point in my life, I want to experience living and working in New York. You know, I thought mm -hmm. at the time it would maybe be that I would transfer with a play for four months or something. I didn't think then that I would move here permanently. Um, and so 
when I was offered the job of Book of Mormon, I was terrified. It was right at the beginning, you know, it had only been on Broadway about a year and this was the first national tour and it was a big deal. And I just didn't know whether I was going to be good enough. <laughs> you know, they saw oh, something please. in me and I was like, <laughs> I, I think I'll be good enough to do this. And so it took a while to get the confidence going, but I was so grateful. You know, as I said, I'd only visited New York and by the time I'd finished a year and a half, I'd visited 26 states and 36 cities. Um, wow. all over the place. Like I mean, starting on the West Coast with like San Francisco, Portland, Seattle, all the way over to like DC and um, Providence and Boston, a couple of times in Boston, um, down in Texas, Florida, like all over the place. And so it's interesting now when I meet people, meet American people for the first time and they're like, oh, you're British. I'm like, yes. And we talk about that for a second because they hear my accent. And I'm like, where are you from originally? And they're like, oh, you know, you wouldn't know it, Dearborn, Michigan. I'm like, oh, yeah, I stayed there when I was <laughs> It blows my <laughs> mind just how many places I have been to or, like, know where they are in the state <laughs> because of that tour. Well, I would think that'd be an amazing experience your first time here and being able to travel that much and really getting to know the country. That's, that's got to yeah. be kind of cool. It right. was amazing. And to be right. doing it with a show that I was so proud to be in um, and, you know, where we had consistently amazing audiences, um, so well taken care of by the management company of Book of Mormon. They treat their artists and their whole company on and off stage really, really well. Um, and yeah, being able to tour around, to be paid to see this wonderful country um, was was awesome. And it also kind of pointed out, you know, when a travel day on a UK tour is like you complain if it's a two hour drive. Most of the time here is a four-hour flight to get from venue to venue. So it helps right. me understand just how vast this country is and just <laughs> how it kind of makes sense that politically we're just in a mess because everyone just experiences a complete different life from each other. I have no idea right. how we expect that people are supposed to agree. Very well said. I agree. Talk about what was... Um... What was the most surprising city on tour you found kind of exciting or enchanting? And what's the place where, okay, one time was enough? <laughs> oh, gosh, now you put me on the spot. Let me start with the positive one first. Um, I, I think this was just um, my point of view. We had such, it was about six, seven months into the tour, um, and we were playing D.C. Um, we were at the Kennedy Center for, um, for six weeks. And it was amazing. Oh, wow. It was so amazing to be there, have plenty of time to feel like we kind of lived in D.C. for a month and a half. And I was like, oh, gosh, now we're going to Texas with the Book of Mormon. Like, I don't know how they're going to receive this. Um, and I was anxious about that. And I really didn't need to be. I think Dallas was our first stop. And I was ignorant to just how culturally diverse and wonderful um, Texas can be, particularly Dallas and, and uh, Austin um, and Houston and San Antonio, the other places we went to. Um, but Dallas was amazing. Their audiences were incredible. There's so many wonderful things to do in that city. And so I think that was the most surprising for me just because of my preconceived ignorant ideas of sure. what it, I thought it would be. Um, right. th there are a couple of places I'm happy that I visited because I can tell people I've been there, but I wouldn't choose to go back. <laughs> Let me just say <laughs> well, that. We won't put you on the hook. 
that's a good answer. I like yeah. that answer. Very, very good. <laughs> People still like right, that, so I don't want anyone to be offended. <laughs> there you go. All righty. I understand completely. I have to drive through there in a couple months, so yeah, I, I definitely understand what you're saying. Um, <laughs> let's talk about Waitress. You got to spend four months there before heading into Mrs. Doubtfire um, in Seattle. Talk about playing the lead in Waitress. That's a iconic role these days. So many great people have played that as well. Uh, how was that experience? Do you know what, Scott? It was. I I, um, I feel so grateful to have been a part of Waitress. I had... I'd wanted to be in the show for a while. I auditioned for it originally before it went to Boston to do its out-of-town tryout um, and auditioned for it a couple of times since then and just thought, oh, okay, especially once we started celebrity casting, I was like, I think my time has passed. Um, And I already knew that I was going to be going to Seattle to do the out-of-town tryout with Mrs. Doubtfire in the fall. So I was happily planning our wedding last summer. I'd just flown over to the UK (laughs) for my British bachelor party. um, And the day before my bachelor party in the UK, or stag do as we call it, um, I had my best friend, Becca, who also lives in New York. She'd flown over as well. We were sitting in my sister's house with her family. And I get a call from um, my agent saying, sorry to disrupt you while you were in the UK. We just wanted you to know that um, you had just received the official offer to go to Broadway with Mrs. Doubtfire in the spring. And I was like, great, great news. Just before I, um, I go to my bachelor party tomorrow, even more to celebrate. Thank you so much. So, you know, we opened a bottle of wine and we're celebrating. 45 <laughs> minutes later, I open my phone and I see an email saying like, this is your day. Waitress would like you to go in to do um, eight weeks of Dr. Pomodoro starting in two weeks time. I was like, hold, hold on, what? I told Becca, my friend, she <laughs> fell off her stool. Like, she was like, only you can be offered two Broadway shows in 45 minutes. Um, but the funny it. thing was is that I, I hadn't auditioned. The last audition I'd done for Waitress was like eight months prior to this. And I had been told that I was kind of at the top of their list of um, non-celebrities, which I was like, great, I'll, I'll take that. Um, but I just assumed that it wasn't going to happen. And... I'm so grateful. They had already announced a couple of days before I found out that Alison Luff, my dear friend, was going in to play Jenna. And when I got my dates through to, you know, that confirmed when I would be going in there, we were rehearsing together and starting on the same night. She and Justin did Escape to Margaritaville together. Um, They were in the original Broadway cast of that. And so it just felt even better to know that I was going to be going into this show with her and, I had an idea of what Waitress was going to be like, but it far exceeded my expectations. I actually stayed with the show longer and worked opposite Jordan Sparks as well. I was only supposed to be in it two months, and I did 10 weeks, I think, in the end. Um, They gave me some time off to get married, um, and I was doing double duty a lot of the time with um, the play that goes wrong, which I'm the associate director of, and with Mrs. Doubtfire. So it was, of course, if you want to, if you want to be busy work-wise as an actor, just plan a wedding. And all of a sudden, people are like, <laughs> Take, have these jobs when it's been a dry spell for quite a while until then. So yeah, waitress was a real gift, a real gift. And you know, as I was describing it with um, my work in the UK as a leading man, like suddenly when I went back to Wicked, I felt like I could justify being um, on that stage. I think. Now knowing that I have three Broadway credits under my belt, it's it's a similar feeling of like, great. Now I'm officially a Broadway leading man. I've done multiple roles on Broadway, so it feels it's a big confidence boost. 
That's fantastic. Well, that is such a great story. Let's go quickly into Mrs. Doubtfire because, unfortunately, we didn't get to have the big grand opening. But it is your first time. Is that your first time originating a role like that? Because that's got to be kind of exciting. Yeah. It's my original, my first original Broadway cast. Yeah. And, um, and you know, when I was asked to do the reading, um, like, it was just over a year ago we did the first read. Uh, it's a workshop, two-week workshop. Um I was honestly like, I love the movie. Why on earth are they trying to put this on stage? They really shouldn't. Like, they're going to ruin it. <laughs> and I'm not a pessimistic person normally, but there's been quite a few a few um, movies that have been turned into musicals that I don't personally consider to have been successful recently. And so, right. um, but when, when we got into the room and we read it for the first time and heard the demos of the music, I was blown away. I was like, oh, I... I am so impressed by this. They've created a wonderful piece of theater. And Rob McClure as Daniel and Mr. Doubtfire, the Robin Williams role, just wonderful. Like this role, this is his role. This was, he was born to play this role. Um, and so it just felt really, really special and really exciting and right. Um, and, you know, the momentum was there. We then, you know, we're going to Seattle, had a hugely successful run in Seattle. They, I think, broke box office records. It was so popular there and we came and we were you know we did our rehearsals in new york and we were so geared for opening night and we just finished our third preview and had a meeting the next day to say that we were pausing things and what we were told mm-hmm. in the company meeting was um all of broadway is shutting down for just four weeks um so just take the few belongings that you need with you and uh we'll see you in four weeks we're just literally turning off the lights and <laughs> That was what, 13 weeks ago today, I think. <laughs> right. Mm, um, goodness gracious. Yeah. But, but at least you know, we have that experience had... of Seattle, and now we're going to be able to have the rest of the world hopefully see it sometime soon. Uh, I, I love, and Stuart is kind of such a fun character because he's not really a bad guy. It just kind of, uh, how, how are you playing Stuart? How do you find playing that character? Well, I, I love that you phrased it that way because he really isn't a bad guy. The reason that he's the villain in the story is because the audience loves Daniel so much. Um, and the reason he's a villain is because he is such a good guy. He's such a nice person that right. he's showing Miranda all of the things that Daniel was not. And so that's why he's a threat. And that's why the audience sometimes just think like, oh, he's the bad guy. But even more so with a musical, I mean, Piers Brosnan's, um, uh, the way that they had written the character for him, he kind of, he had a couple of douchey things to say, and he was kind of a little snooty and whatever. They've changed that for Broadway. They've just made Stuart a really open-hearted, expressive, kind of like perfect model of a 2020 man. Um, And he's kind and sensitive and basically everything that women deserve which obviously creates the comedy when you're working opposite, you know, Miranda's ex-husband who's dressed as her nanny. It's very, very funny. Right. Oh, my gosh. I can't wait to come see it next year. Hope, Knock on wood, we're going to knock it out of the park and get that done. I'm so excited for you. Now, talk about, you said that you you are the co-creator. I want you to talk about your project a little bit. Um, Let everyone know about that because that sounds amazing. Yes. So um, I've been teaching for a long time. I started, um, uh, I think it was when I was 21, I set up um, an annual musical theater summer school in the area where I grew up. Because as I mentioned at the beginning of this chat, that 
very isolated, kind of in the middle of nowhere. And I hadn't a clue really what the West End was until I was 15. And so I wanted to bridge that gap a little bit. So I created something called West End in Wales. I ran it every year, every summer for six years until I moved over to the States for Book of Mormon. Um, And I've been wanting to do something similar um, in the city here, but just haven't been able to really figure out the logistics of it. There's so much of that stuff happening. Um, And then all of a sudden, you know, Justin and I both out of work, both at home, both know that we have the summer available. And I was like, oh, it's now. All of the kids, like summer camps have now been canceled. And we have 15 years, 30 years teaching between us, like the experience between us. So we worked really hard to create um, a summer camp called Camp Creative, where we have um, two age groups, 10 to 13, and then 14 to 17. And we work, um, uh, it's a five-day course. They do a couple of hours classes every day, and then they get homework assignments to keep them busy and inspired every evening. Um, We do everything from like singing and acting through song to improv, scene study, monologue coaching, audition technique, dance um, lessons. And we had our first one in June, which sold out, which was, you know, a, a huge, huge success, not only because it sold out for us as our main source of income, but because the kids had a wonderful time. We had a flood of emails from their parents saying that my God, my, my kid has just sung for me for the first time. They were always too shy, but you've done mm. something. You've given them the confidence somewhere to, to make them feel like they're enough. And that is our goal. I do a lot of teaching outside of this camp. And my goal is to like really help people figure out who they are and to bring that to the surface because we have to celebrate ourselves as much as possible. And what I say to the kids is, you know, the reason there have been countless productions of Hamlet is because every time someone new plays Hamlet, they bring their, the essence of who they are to the role. And so mm. how do you do that? You have to really have a firm sense of your identity and what you can confidently bring to the role. And if you start like teaching kids that from the age of 10 all the way through their teenage years when they're so um, malleable and susceptible to kind of like really making some drastic changes in how they present themselves, I feel like it gives them the confidence they need and deserve to be able to thrive in an, in a business, you know, if they choose to be in it. There are some kids who are not going to be working on Broadway. They may actually work at the corner store, but giving them some exercises on just how to communicate and talk to people with a bit more confidence is just as valuable as teaching someone how to solidly do a double pirouette. <laughs> well, I love that. And I think it's amazing that you get to work with your husband on that. We've kind of alluded to him. Throughout the interview, and as I told you off air, I came across him through his music because he's done some amazing music as well. Talk about, we got to share with the listeners, I told you I want to say you have a unique story of how you first met. Um, Well, I guess how you first met in person is a better way to say it. Uh, Give everyone (laughs) a brief glimpse into this because I think it's an amazing story. First of all, I'm glad you mentioned his music because he's releasing a song this week for all of the graduates in 2020 who didn't get their graduation or their prom. It's called Graduated. Um, And it's brilliant. So check that out um, on iTunes and everything. Um, But yeah, we met, we were introduced through Becca, my friend who I said was in the UK with me for my bachelor party. Um, She considers herself a bit of a Cupid. And so she said, you know, (laughs) I did this workshop with Justin a while ago and obviously you're my best friend. And so I think you guys should meet. So she introduced us on Facebook and we sent a couple of messages and 
He was in New York, but the next day he was flying back to Vegas, where he originated the role of Drew in Rock of Ages Death and played it for a couple of years. He'd been in New York for nine months, but he was going back to help them close out one venue with the show and open another venue. And so we were like, oh, okay, well, you're going away for four months. Let's just chat and, you know, text occasionally. And then if we're interested, we'll have an epic first date when you get back in March. Um, (laughs) Well, we started, like, texting and messaging more and more. And then we, like, had a phone conversation. Then we started FaceTiming. And long story short, we fell in love pretty, well, very quickly, um, which is a wonderful thing because, we didn't have the option of a first kiss or, you know, when are we going to sleep together for the first time? And none of that was even on the card. So all we had was the opportunity to very quickly become best friends, which was, I'd never experienced anything like that before. Um, mm. And then after, you know, I was like, I can't wait four months, mainly because I want to see him, but also what if this is a disaster? I need to know. <laughs> so <laughs> I, after about six, seven weeks, I was like, screw this. Just before I fly home to the UK for Christmas, I'm going to fly to to Vegas for three nights, four days. Um, and my friends were like, well, what if, what if you end up like not like realizing that he's not for you? I'm like, well, then I'll be in Vegas. There's plenty to do. <laughs> um, so we were getting really excited. Once I booked my trip and the anticipation was, you know, even es- escalated even more. We were like, Oh, I can't wait to see you in two weeks. Can't wait to see you in 10 days. Like we felt like teenagers. Um, and it was the day before, I think it was, um, yeah, the day before, um, I woke up about seven in the morning and I had really bad stomach cramps. And I was like, oh, I had a lot of wine and cheese with Becca last night, you know, as a Christmas celebration before we parted. Um, I was like, maybe I'm just a little, like, blocked up. And then it got worse and worse. And I just thought, like, I must just be constipated. So I, like, tried to take some hot water and lemon and I just vomited that back up and I was like, Oh God, something's wrong. Something is wrong. Long story short, went to city MD. They referred me to the to the hospital and I was there for a long, long time. And they told me that I, they eventually told me um, that I had appendicitis and they needed to remove my appendix. And I was, I burst into tears saying I need to get on a flight tomorrow morning at 9am. This was 9pm the night before. And I had the most wonderful gay Irish nurse practitioner talking to me. He was like, what time is your flight? Like 9 a.m. He said, let me see what I can do. <laughs> and oh my goodness. he wonderfully went to get like, I don't know what her official um, job title would be. Someone high up in the surgery world. <laughs> Apologies to anyone listening. Um, <laughs> and she came down and just said, okay, there's a couple options. Um, we need to, we either go in and see that it has perforated or ruptured and you will be with us for a few days, or we go in see that it's still intact, remove it through your belly button and we should be able to stitch you up and get you on the flight by 9 a.m. And I was like, so either way, you have to operate on me. So let's do, let's go, 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 get to the surgery. <laughs> um, and 3 a.m. Um, arrives and I'm kind of like waking up from the anesthesia and Becca's next to me and she says, um, you're going to Vegas. And I was like, I can't move because <laughs> I had so many pillows around Aww. me and things to prevent me from jerking. They gave me a, um, in hindsight, I really should not have gotten on a flight six hours later. They gave me a strong injection of blood thinners um, to avoid clotting on the flight. They told me I needed to drink water every half an hour. They gave me a doctor's note. The staff, um, the air staff of um, Virgin America were amazing. Um, Mm-hmm. They would wake me up because obviously I hadn't slept. They were waking me up every half an hour to give me water and tell me to walk around to go pee. Aww. And then eventually I arrived in Vegas, um, 
not being able to stand up straight. I had iodine stains on my stomach because I hadn't been able to shower in 48 hours. I hadn't been to the bathroom for 48 hours, so I was bloated. <laughs> and here I am meeting my future husband. I wasn't, I didn't really wasn't aware of that at the time, obviously. I was like, hello, nice to meet you. Can you help me? Into your... <laughs> and he was driving a truck of all things. You know, when you've just had an appendectomy, you have to get hoisted up by the butt by your future oh boyfriend. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> into this truck but you know the rest is history it was wonderful there you go well congratulations to you both uh, on the meeting and the wedding in september that is fantastic so much more Thanks, i want to sir. talk about we're running out of time um i am excited that you're also doing uh you said you do teach outside so we'll give you all your information on that in a second but you also do some free classes this past monday you did a workshop with a free acting workshop through song. Talk about what you get out of those classes and what people can expect with those. Well, it's just really important. I think now that, as I said, people's summer camps have been canceled, but not only that people are, are craving connection. As I mentioned, I found my people when I was in my very vulnerable years as a teenager, I found my tribe and people don't have access to that right now. And so you know, teaching, which was my side job, has now become my full-time job. So, yes, we do private coaching. Justin and I both do private coaching, and we're very busy with that. But it's also really important to me that I make it accessible to people whose parents have been furloughed or made redundant. Um, and so uh, once every week or two, I try and offer um, free workshops where I'll get in a New York casting director that I know or my friends. Um, Becca, actually, my other friend, is going to be teaching with uh, me on one of the workshops. Um So, yeah, just, you know, tell people to find me on Instagram, Mark Evans, uh, Mark Evans Actor on Instagram, and I post information about it. They tag themselves, and then they send me their email address. I send them the Zoom link, and and they join. And it's invaluable. And the great thing is it started with me giving a free workshop to all the graduates of 2020, theater graduates, um, to kind of just answer any questions that they might have. And that's when I brought the casting director in um, and they found it so valuable. I just thought, oh, okay, I can do, you know, different age groups and have different themes and things just to make theater and the arts a little more accessible. Well, thank you for doing that. That's an amazing job. As I said, the acting community, the singing community, heck, even the, the weight trainers community have done amazing things on Zoom and keeping connection in the world. And I think that's so important with everything we've gone through the last three months or so. So thank you for doing that, my friend. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank you. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap things up here. You did give your Instagram. I want you to give it one more time, any place they can follow you. And uh, what is hopefully uh, we're going to see you back again on Broadway if this happens. Anything else that might be happening in between we need to know about? Um, not that I'm aware of, but who knows? Life seems to be changing very drastically every off- every so often, so who knows? But my social media handle is uh, Mark Evans Actor. Um, so, yeah, follow me there, and you can get any information about coachings and the summer camp and teaching and stuff, and Broadway when it comes back. <laughs> All right. Well, we are going to play out with a song that was on your album that you did called To Where You Are. It has a special meaning for you. Talk about that, and then we're going to go ahead and play out to this fantastic song. Thanks for being a guest on the Left is Great show, Mark. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much, Scott. Um, to Where You Are was actually originally recorded by Josh Groban, 
And I, my first album, um, The Journey Home, was um, bilingual. So this song I re- originally recorded in Welsh because I speak uh, Welsh fluently. And then I re-recorded it in English once I sung this at my, um, my Nana's funeral. And I recently posted it on Instagram, um, dedicating it to all those who have lost a loved one because of COVID-19. So um, it's, a, it's a special song, and I'm glad that it means a lot um, to people at the moment. So this is to where you are. That is amazing. We're going to play this song, guys. I'll be back on the other side. Be sure to follow Mark. He is a fantastic person as well as an actor. We'll be back in this little bit. You're listening to the Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight radio network. Stay on the line for me, Mark. Here we go. Actually, guys, we are back. That song did not upload onto the computer like it needed to. So we're going to play Mark's song tomorrow on the show because we're actually having Mark's husband, Justin on the show tomorrow. So, Mark, I apologize. We're going to play that song tomorrow uh, as a bumper between guests. So I'm looking forward to that. Guys, I hope you enjoyed the show today. I had a fantastic time talking to Mark earlier in the week and to Brett live today. A big thank you to our newest special correspondent, Ramis Ellis. Thank you for introducing yourself. We're looking forward to your fun foodie minutes every other Thursday. She'll bring us some recipes. She'll tell us where the cool food trucks are, all sorts of really cool things. So I appreciate everyone for coming on today. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow's show, as I said, I got a great lineup tomorrow. We'll be here same time, 6 o'clock Pacific, 9 o'clock Eastern time. We'll be starting off with our Friday Fitness Minute with Jason Caceres. He'll be on live giving us his fitness tips for the week. And then I have two interviews for you tomorrow. We're going to start off with Fab the Duo. Um, these guys are amazing. Greg and Brendan have a brand new EP being released tomorrow. It's called Our Love is Resistance. It's also the name of their song. Uh, that's the title track for the thing. So we're going to be having them on first. And then, as I said, our second interview is going to be Mark Evans' husband, Justin Mortaliti, who is also an amazing actor, singer, and dancer, and musician. So he has a brand new song out for all the graduates out there called Graduated. We're going to play tomorrow. So it's going to be a great episode tomorrow. I appreciate you guys all tuning in. You can download today's episode tomorrow on your favorite podcast distributor over at Apple iTunes or Spotify or iHeartRadio. And please give me a follow on Instagram and Twitter. It's at Left of Straight. That's at L-E-F-T-O-F-S-T-R and the number eight. Or follow my interns like the wonderful Justine that's been helping me in studio all night. They're on the Left of Straight radio social media, at Left of Straight Radio on Twitter and Instagram. On Facebook, you can follow the Left of Straight show, or you can send a friend request to me personally over at Scott Fullerton. I do have a public profile there, and I will take most requests. So go on over there and do it. I appreciate you being part of the Left of Straight family. We will talk to you very soon. Thanks again to all my guests, and you guys have a great evening. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.